Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, February 26, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news, and I will sit down and chat with the filmmakers behind Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Y. Trend Billy. Hey, everyone. Happy birthday, HT. Yay, happy birthday, HT. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, and uh, you are celebrating your birthday by working. Yes, working and then playing some Kingdom Hearts later tonight. Yeah, Nice. It's going to be a hard party. Yeah. So you're not, <laughs> you're not full adulting it. You're, you're half adulting it today. I'm half adulting by playing a video game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's jump into the news. Uh, let's talk about some news that hit yesterday when we were recording our water cooler episode, and that is that Gremlins is getting an animated TV series. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, this is going to be on the Warner Media streaming service, and we haven't really heard much about the original content that they're going to be producing for that service whenever it you know becomes available to the public. But a Gremlins animated series is currently in the works for this streaming service. It's going to be a prequel that follows Mr. Wing 
who is uh, the Chinese grandfather played in the movies by Key Luke. And it, the story follows him as a young man as he goes off on adventures with the friendly Mogwai Gizmo from the films. So uh, he, that, that's essentially all we know. We know that uh, Zay Shun is going to be uh, running this thing, writing, executive producing the series. But other than that, it's just a Gremlins animated series prequel. That's that's the baseline for what's going on here. Um, Peter, I, I know you're probably a, a, maybe the biggest Gremlins fan on this episode of the podcast. What do you yeah. think about this? Um, yes, I am a huge Gremlins fan. I own a life-sized gizmo and a life-sized uh, spike in my in my living room. Uh, this is weird. Like I feel like the 80s was filled with these movies that were adult movies but later on like kids kind of like the characters in them like you know gremlins and and short circuit and uh, those kind of films uh you know they're not geared towards kids but now now i guess it's being fully co-opted for you know family for a family animated television series i i don't know how i feel about this i don't feel like I don't feel like that character was like this world traveler going off in adventures with his mogwai like I feel oh no HT are you a fan at all of the gremlin series don't hate me but I've never seen them what oh wow I know well okay I've never gotten the chance to see them but I felt like um uh just based on my knowledge of it my working knowledge of the Gremlin series, I felt like it was kind of a almost like subversion of those 80s toys that were always merchandise and stuff and, you know, turned those into the the horror, um, the monsters of this horror film. And I think that's kind of it's funny. I think you're that thinking kind of more of like child's way than I guess. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. This is this is my like, just like very basic knowledge of gremlins but yeah um i don't really know anything about it so that's just like my impression is that it's kind of like it was made to be anti-merchandise and now it's becoming sort of merchandised hc you need to see at least the first film i know it came out probably 10 years 15 years before you were born yes i've seen movies before (laughs) i was born yeah no i know i know i know um ben what what are your thoughts on this I have actually only seen the first Gremlin, so I, I'm not sure, um, you know, how this might potentially tie into the second movie or, or what the mythology is of this character throughout the whole franchise. But in terms of just relating it to the first movie, I mean, it's the same thing that we always come back to with prequels. It's like you're removing any sense of mystery and magic that may have been there by trying to fill in the gaps that it seems a little unnecessary in terms of that, you know, taking that approach from it. Um I don't know. They've been talking for years about doing like a potential Gremlins three or maybe even just like a straight up reboot. And obviously nothing has happened with that yet. But I'm wondering if that might have been a better approach here, just instead of trying to answer questions that didn't need answering, maybe just continue the story on or something. But even even still, like putting it in an animated form, you know, I, I think part of the appeal of Gremlins is like it looks like there are these friendly alien creatures, but then they get gross and disgusting. And like, you know, there's a twisted edge to those movies. And I'm not sure if you're going to be able to really capture that in animation. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually wondering, well, first of all, I'm wondering, number one, who's the audience for this? Because anybody who has seen gremlins, I mean, evidenced by HT today, 
Um, most of the people who have seen Gremlins, I think, are probably in their 30s at this point. Um, but I guess on on the second hand, those people have kids. And now, you know, like Star Wars and all these other things that are coming out, like, are subjecting their kids to all these things that they loved as a kid in mm-hmm. their new form, right? So, like, maybe it's that. Maybe it's also... Ben, maybe it, it maybe this is a backdoor way to get to that Gremlins three slash reboot is to mm-hmm. you know have this animated series that will get you know Gizmo back into you know pop culture for like a new younger generation so that they can eventually make this live action you know third Gremlins film slash reboot. Yeah, make it a viable property in people's minds again. I mean, I guess that makes sense. And if if this is going to be for the Warner streaming service, then maybe it it signals that they're interested in doing more with these characters in live action down the road. I, I think that's a possibility for sure. I just don't know how how do you compare this against like the original offerings of Netflix or even Disney Plus, who is coming out with you know TV shows featuring characters from the marvel cinematic universe reprising their roles and limited series and you know the first live action star wars uh television show like is a gremlins animated show going to really capture people's money i, <laughs> I don't I think mean, this you've is gonna watched be their... cobra kai about 40 times so maybe <laughs> not 40 times three times okay um but I'm, I'm eventually going to get someone else from this from this site to watch this and, and verify that I'm not insane, that this show is actually good. But uh, that'll be another day. Um, okay, let's move on to Rotten Tomatoes. We've been talking a lot recently about how the user reviews on Rotten Tomatoes kind of get co-opted by these groups that are kind of trying to take these films down, films like uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi, Captain Marvel, uh, and it seems like Rotten Tomatoes is finally going to strike back. HT, what do we know? Yeah, it's about time. Uh, we've talked a lot about how uh, toxic fandom has become this thing where there are just mass coordinated attacks against films that haven't even come out yet, um, like Captain Marvel, in which they're trying to bring down the audience score to sort of skewer public um, perception of these movies. Uh, And uh, Rotten Tomatoes, after many months of apparent deliberation, is finally rolling out changes to the um, audience rating system. Uh, The first change will be that no longer... Fans fans will no longer be able to leave or uh, comments or reviews prior to movies release, and uh, the want to see score will now be shown as a number um, tallied in real time versus as a percentage as it was before, so as to uh, prevent any confusion with the actual audience rating slash score. But is this going to stop people from mass going to that website and like giving a film that they? haven't seen or just don't want to see bad user reviews? Probably not. Um, There are still not enough safeguards in place to stop people from like coordinating these just online attacks um, after the movie's release. But um, Rotten Tomatoes plans to roll out more changes apparently over the next few months for the audience rating system, including uh, enhanced security, whatever that means. So (laughs) hopefully it means I'll be implementing more safeguards and trying to stop these uh, coordinated attacks, which are just they're just terrible. Yeah. They're they're not fun. And some of them are <laughs> and, Russian bots and yeah. like 
Yeah, there was. I think there's a whole article about how like Russian bots are kind of being like an thing to this, and so that it's yeah. I wonder if Ronios is going to be doing more, but it's already taken them. I think like almost a about a year because Black Panther was one of the um, the first films to see this kind of kind of coordinated attack before the movie's release, and uh, now that Captain Marvel is is uh, undergoing that now, and um, at this point. Uh, episode nine of Star Wars is too. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes is finally just kind of kicking into action. Yeah, I feel like what they need to do is they need to put a system in place that will give more uh, weight to people that actually have reviewed many movies on Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. rather than people that are new users or that this is the only film or, you know, only a couple films they've you know rated on the service because I feel like that's a way to get around the bot issue until the bots figure that out and then they just rate every movie on the service. I don't know. Maybe there isn't a way around this, but I guess the the way around this is to make it a little bit more difficult. Ben, is there an answer for this? Man, I don't know. That's above my pay grade. I, I you know, I, I think we've we've all seen like the horrible effects of this stuff and just how eye rolling it is every single time. And I'm sure there are people inside Rotten Tomatoes who are just as annoyed with it as we are. So I, I would like to think that they're doing everything they can to try to come up with a way. But I mean, it's going to be tough to to figure out a way to stop this entirely. So, yeah, I think you're right, Peter. At this point, it's just a, a matter of like putting a, a Band-Aid on the Hoover Dam kind of thing. Yeah. And I don't think Rotten Tomatoes wants to get rid of the user ratings. They, they obviously love that community. And I've even seen films recently, instead of using the Rotten Tomato score, like actually advertising with the Rotten Tomato user rating score. I believe it was the upside that used it. I don't know. Uh, I would have to look that up. But anyways, uh, let's move on to a story that hit on Friday while we were away. And that is that A Quiet Place 2 is actually happening, which is something we did know. But we didn't know who was going to direct it. And we didn't know who was going to star in it. And now we know that. And I'm even way more confused. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah. So John Krasinski, who uh, co-wrote and directed a Quiet Place last year is coming back to direct the sequel. So we've known for months that he was going to be on board as a writer, um, but this is the first uh, official confirmation that he's actually going to be directing this sequel as well. Uh, not only that, but Emily Blunt is coming back, and Millicent Simmons and Noah Jupe, the actors who played the kid in the first movie, are coming back. So wait, wait a second. I thought I thought Krasinski <laughs> said that the sequel was not going to be a sequel, but it was going to take place in the same world with a different family. He definitely did say that. And we've spent the last several months under the assumption that that's the approach that he had to this sequel. But it seems like things have changed. Uh, According to The Hollywood Reporter, the team considered two options for the follow up. One would have focused on a brand new aspect of the post-apocalyptic world featuring the creatures. And the second involved the continuing saga of the protective mother and her children. So that's the quote from THR. And it sounds like they ended up going with that second option. I wasn't even aware that there was a second option on the table because Krasinski has spent the past few months, uh, even during award season for A Quiet Place, you know, fielding questions about the sequel and talking about how excited he was to approach a different 
in, in the same world in a different way, like talking up how the world was the most important thing, not necessarily these particular characters within it. But now it seems like they're just going back to those characters, which I mean, you know, it's hard to get upset about Emily Blunt starring in a new movie because she's so great. Um, and, and Krasinski being behind the camera again, because he did such a good job, uh, you know, crafting the, the visual language of this movie and, and the, you know, overseeing the, um, really like the unique theatrical experience that everybody had about it. We talked about how that was like one of our probably collective, like favorite uh, theatrical experiences as a, as a site last year, like watching that movie and having that be such a special thing. So the idea that they're all com- coming back for more is interesting and, and uh, potentially exciting, but um, you know, it, it certainly goes against everything that we've heard over the past several months, you know, from like directly from the horse's mouth. So uh, it's a, sort of a fascinating uh, development here. You, you know, another reason this confuses me is because, you know, spoilers for a quiet place, but for the next minute, but at the end of the movie, they kind of fi- figure out the, the monster's weakness, right? So now that they have this knowledge going forward, it feels like it's a lot less, um, throwing, right? Yeah, unless they become, you know, sort of revolutionaries who like travel the country or maybe the world, like spreading this knowledge to everybody and like, uh, you know, freeing people from the scourge of these aliens. I, I'm not really sure the scope of what this thing is going to be. I'm, I'm really just sort of uh, stunned at the the complete 180 in direction on this. Um, HT, what do you think about this news? Mm. I think it's interesting that he did the 180. Um, I'm not angry about going back to these characters because I did like them, but I'm not sure where they can go from here except to just completely change the um, the story structure completely. And, um, yeah, I don't really know. I'm, I was interested to see, like, where he, they would go with a, um, a new family, but it, I can kind of see them pulling sort of like a Stranger Things and that Stranger Things was meant to be an anthology series, but they got so attached to the characters that they couldn't you know they had to go back to them so um yeah i mean i'm still interested because christian sees did such a great job with the first film and emily blunt it would be really cool to see her do some sort of like terminator 2 turnaround <laughs> with this film oh yeah maybe. that's interesting it's, it's that a few that years in the future where she's like now like a total badass yeah um, i don't know I, i'm also wondering like do you think there's at all the possibility of like them doing kind of like a scream swerve where like the the movie starts off with them and then becomes not about them i'll be kind of mad because then if they kill off emily blunt in the first five minutes <laughs> yeah, i just want to laugh in the world somewhere i can't believe i didn't think about that sooner peter because that strikes me as actually the most plausible thing because of how much krasinski has been talking about that other approach for so long it seems like by bringing them on, this is the perfect opportunity to set up a swerve like that. Um, and, and yeah, just kill everybody, you know, make a big deal about how they're all coming back. All the actors are coming back, kill them off in the first five minutes. And then you're able to focus on the story that he's been talking about telling for the past few months. So, uh, man, if I was if I was a betting man, I, I might put some money on that. Yeah. Um, let's move on to Marvel. Uh, Kevin Feige has been doing some interviews to promote Captain Marvel, which comes out soon, and uh, people have been asking him questions about the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we don't really know much concrete about the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We know that Endgame's coming out and then followed by Spider-Man Far From Home. And in the future, we know some stuff is development, but they have not announced anything 
quite yet of in what in terms of like what's going to be in different release dates and what their plans are and someone uh, asked him i guess apparently when are we going to find out the future slate of the mcu ht what do we know so Feige confirmed that um, this the future slate of the MCU won't be revealed until after both Avengers Endgame and Spider-Man Far From Home hit theaters. So that means we won't get any news about the planned Marvel movies until after July 5th, uh, which can kind of put the timeline around this year's San Diego Comic-Con or D23, um, either or, or maybe both. We can expect yeah. big news from probably either of those conventions. Yeah, Comic-Con's um, in like mid-July and D23 is in August sometime, I think. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah I, be perhaps, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. I don't think we're going to get this massive event like we did at the El Capitan to announce the, the last phase leading up to Infinity War. I think we're going to probably get it split between Comic-Con and D23, um, maybe the more like sequel and family-friendly stuff at D23 and the more nerdy comic book stuff like, you know, The Eternals probably at uh, Comic-Con. Uh, speaking of The Eternals, Kevin Feige has been talking about The Eternals and telling us what we we can expect. Yeah, so The Eternals, uh, it's a movie coming up. It's directed by Chloe Zhao, who uh, made a film called The Writer. Uh, and uh, we know that uh, Feige in an interview just was talking about phase four and talking about how everything after far from home is going to be quote different and quote unique. But in, in terms of the Eternals, which is a, a movie that's based on these sort of spacefaring comics about an advanced alien race and uh, the, the, the Eternals and the deviants who are these uh, bitter enemy races, it's all very um, Jack Kirby and, and very uh, sort of trippy and out there in the comics. But in terms of the movie, Kevin Feige said, seeing returning characters is certainly something we're going to do and want to do, but also introducing characters that the majority of the world has never heard of, uh, and there are lots of them. Eternals are one group, but we like the idea of introducing an ensemble, doing an ensemble movie from the start as opposed to building up as we did with the first Avengers. More like Guardians, not tonally, but in terms of introducing a new group of people. You were asking about the 60s and 70s before. Jack Kirby did an immense, amazing epic with Eternals that spans tens of thousands of years and that's also something we haven't really done which is why that among many other things post endgame we find appealing so he sort of implies there that the eternals movie could span tens of tens of thousands of years which would certainly be different and unique for the mcu we've not seen anything on that scale in terms of setting and, and timeline uh, in one movie yet so um and, and the characters in the Eternals are basically immortal. So it makes sense for those particular characters. And maybe you can read more about that uh, on, on in the article if you're interested in sort of getting into more of the nitty gritty of who these characters are and, and what they're up to. But, um, yeah, what uh, Peter, what do you think about this? I, I don't know much about the Eternals, but the concept of a movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that spans tens of thousands of years to me kind of breaks the Marvel Cinematic Universe because uh, it doesn't seem like we'd get much of a crossover there because, you know, what happens in the last 10 years of the MCU would be over in a blink in this movie and we're not going to see our heroes crossover with their heroes. So I'm I'm guessing my question is, is Marvel trying to create other universes inside the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Like, is this the first... Of this happening, could we see, you know, could the X-Men 
I mean, I guess that would defeat the purpose of what everybody wanted was they wanted a crossover between the X-Men and the Avengers when, you know, if Disney bought Fox or is right. about to purchase Fox. I, what do you think, Ben? I don't know. I, I'm My first thought was like maybe they could, because this thing would span so much time, they could theoretically go back in and sort of retroactively reveal that some of the events that we've seen thus far in the MCU may have been put in motion by some of these immortal characters, which, like you said, would sort of break the universe. So I'm not really sure what the approach is there. And I would like to think that they're not going to introduce the X-Men as, you know, taking play or, or, or I guess operating in the MCU hundreds of years after the events of the MCU as we know it so far. You know, I'm not, I don't yeah. I really don't know. HD, do you have any thoughts on the Eternals? I don't know much about them like you, Peter, but I am intrigued by the prospect of an epic sort of fantasy of this scale. I don't think that Marvel has has done anything like that before, and I want to see if they can pull it off. If so, it would be extremely my shit. So <laughs> <laughs> I I would like to see this. I want to. I mean, it doesn't make sense in terms of the MCU and everything, but um, I like to think that maybe if they're doing the Eternals, they're trying to do something. Like maybe a, a set apart from the rest of the MCU. Yeah, for sure. Okay, that is all the news. Uh, let's go into our feature presentation. A couple weeks ago, I got to sit down with the filmmakers behind Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I'm talking about directors Peter Ramsey, Bob Perchetti, and Rodney Rothman. Who uh, And it was in anticipation of the home video release, which is now on home video on digital and will be on physical media in a few weeks. So in this conversation, I talked to the filmmakers about what did not make the final cut of the film. This includes alternate scenes, deleted scenes. Notoriously, there was a three-hour cut of this film at one point, and that three-hour cut, included Tom Cruise and James Cameron as characters in this film. It also included uh, Miles Morales' best friend, Genki, who was voiced by Pixar director Pete Sohn, who did The Good Doctor, uh, Good Dinosaur, and um, he provides uh, some fan-favorite characters like Squishy and Monsters University and uh, Emile and Ratatouille, and was the inspiration of Russell from Up. Uh, he's a long-time Pixar animator. So learn about all that and more in our full conversation with the filmmakers. Here it is. Okay. You work for uh, Slash Film, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm a big fan of you guys. Um, <laughs> says all kinds of nice things. Was cool at the LA Online Film Critics. But, uh, I, oh, yeah. Do you recall? Yeah. Yes. I recall. Uh, first of all, can I get you guys to sign? Yes, yes, and while we're doing that, can I ask you about your shirt? Where did you get that shirt? Was that a gift today? Or did you, no. It was you a, found it online. That's it was a really uh, bootleg uh, it's rad. something. Yeah. It's, it's a good bootleg. Because they don't make a lot of... Well, because merch. This, well, Sony doesn't, you know. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a deal involved that doesn't involve Sony. <laughs> yeah, when it comes to that stuff. Um, you know, we're here talking about Blu-ray. Uh, I'm wondering what kind of deleted and alternate scenes can we find on this thing? Which which is some of the favorites that like didn't quite make it? And actually, could you guys say your names? Yeah, for the yeah. Audio This is Rodney Rothman, Peter Ramsey, uh, Bob Persichetti. I'm I'm getting pretty used to. My quotes and Bob's quotes getting interchanged. Like I'm, I'll be like, I sound really smart about uh, technical animation. Oh, it's funny because I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> like, that you sounded know, really smart yeah, about yeah, technical yeah, animation. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, 
That's funny. Um, but now you totally derailed the question. What was the question? Uh, what are Sorry. some of your favorite deleted I'm, scenes? I apologize. Favorite deleted yes. scenes uh, while we go down the line. Mm. Um, Feel free to say the billboard if you want. Uh, yeah, I have a different I, I, it's, one. It's, I, I, I'm not sure that it is. That it is. Uh, uh, it's going to be really nice for people to see the Ganke and Miles exactly. stuff. Right. That's that's. Uh, what is that? Ganke uh, was my, Miles' oh, yeah. roommate in the comics. I mean, we were originally we were being very faithful to the comics, and that that relationship was almost. Was, it was there before the before school. Yeah, it was. It was almost. It was close to being the emotional backbone of the movie. Those two guys' relationship, in a way, and um, which is probably one reason it's not there anymore. Yes. Uh, but uh, it was so charming, and we had so much fun with it, and it took up so much of the movie for so long mm-hmm. that when we had to finally like shift gears and you know cut that way back, it was a huge. Uh, it was kind of traumatic. So it's nice that people get to see, you know, a literal alternate universe version of the movie. Yeah, we also had some great, um, one of one of my, like, college friends did the voice for, for Ganke. Also a wildly famous uh, animation uh, yeah, yeah, this director. Guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, he won't get in trouble anymore because we talked to the people at Pixar, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pete Sohn, who directed, like, a, so I love Pete, Pete Sohn. Yeah, so Pete's a yeah. magic man, right? Yeah. He, he went to CalArts when I went to CalArts. So he came down... And he's, he's, look, Korean-American from the Bronx and is a giant lover of comic books. And that is That's, that character. Yeah. And it was just like, there's nobody else but Pete who should yeah. do this character. And he came down, recorded the whole movie. And it's really good. It's yeah. really good. Um, um, but we just, it just, the movie was three hours long. Yeah. And there was no room for Peter to come into the movie. So. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't because of Spider-Man Homecoming? Well, you can well, read into it what you want. Okay, okay, but I'm off the I'm, record, man. <laughs> I'm just saying that there was yes, there were some Ned similarities. <laughs> that was off the record. Yes, yeah, it was off off the dang record. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's you know, the tip of, there's a lot of stuff in that version. You know, stuff that we took out of the movie for good reasons, but that give you a a, a window into the creative process behind the you know the years that were spent on the movie. So. You know, just like an example of stuff, or you know, the stuff they're talking about. There's a there's a line from Doc Ock that's a, a very mm-hmm. direct reference to a a, a fam- probably Doc Ock's most famous line in uh, Spider-Man Two. Uh, there's um, is the Tom Cruise stuff in the Alt Universe yes. version. So there, so there's a you know there was a whole period of time where <laughs> where where Miles, rather than learning about being Spider-Man from a comic book, learned it from watching. The film, yeah, there was a movie version, a a movie about Spider-Man in Miles' universe, about the real person Spider-Man, but it was a James Cameron-directed movie. With Tom Cruise as Spidey. With Tom Cruise as Spidey, and it was James Cameron and and Tom Cruise on the audio. Yeah, behind, it was, it was, it was, it was literally the, the, the director's commentary (laughs) with guest star Tom Cruise. And guest star real Spider-Man. And and guest star real Spider-Man. With his voice. He was a technical advisor on the yes. And the fact that it's taken us almost three minutes to explain this idea to you, it gives you an idea of why it, it, it didn't, didn't make the movie. It didn't make the cut. But oh my God, it was fun to do. Yeah. It was so fun. Um, damn. <laughs> no. Uh, Rodney said on Twitter oh that the third, oh. act, the third act of this film was basically improvised. That's, I'm that's, wondering what, what that means. 
That's yeah. why I don't go on Twitter. I, I, I kind of walked it back a little later. Did you? Like I walked back most things. I'll tell well, you. This. Was, oh, no, I didn't no, no, see no, no. walk back. No, no, I mean, I, 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 I made some kind of offhand comment. He walked it back with his kid at home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I meant by that, you, you can't improvise a, uh, right. <laughs> a massive animated movie. But uh, what I meant by that was that uh, you know we, we built the third act of the yeah. movie um, in the last four months of. Production. Basically, from like from like kind of bullet points and and index cards. The bit that was go. yeah. Here's the bit that was always an anchor. Once we had that anchor in, we were like, that's the target, and all everything's just leading to the moment when Miles and Jefferson talk, and Miles leaves on his mask right. and he hugs him and he says, "All right, I look forward to working with you." You know yeah. that moment when we storyboarded that moment and we cut it into the film. It right. was like. Oh yes! Like mm-hmm. there's the target. No matter what, that's mm-hmm. where we're gonna end. But all the junk that came yeah. <laughs> between, like the, the collider firing, like from from the from Auk and Kingpin and the ballroom yeah. and the bread moment. Yeah. So from there, <laughs> all the way to that moment when the collider sort of implodes. Yeah. Essentially, was like yeah. a deck of cards or three yeah. decks of cards, yeah. and we were going. <laughs> All the way, like even in production, like throwing down the and railroad like, tracks and while like, the train was going, and we would, yeah, we, we would go. do edit. We like even in, in animation, yeah. you know, image works in sort of like a real rudimentary way. We'd like open up shots. We would shrink shots. We would go, oh, we're gonna, we need another shot yeah. here because we were so behind. Yeah, and we were literally like my favorite line that Rodney ever said was like, "Man, how does it feel to be Jackson Pollocking like a <laughs> underscore budget?" Million dollar movie, and that because that's kind of what we were doing at the very like, end. Yeah. I think I, I think what I meant by with, that with, with, yeah. with direction, though. yeah, like we yeah. had a point. But that's what I think. That's what I meant by you know by that or by the improvisation comment. You know, and I'll, and I'll speak about other people, not myself. You know, like you know, we were working. You know, I wasn't saying as a negative. No, thing. no, 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 no. I was, no, I was working with amazing people. Everybody was improv. I was working with amazing people. We were working with amazing technicians and and filmmakers. You know, in every department, we really were, and. You know, great improvisation is performed by people that know what they're doing. And they're all up here. Yeah, like, and and, and yeah. at that moment, every single shot was building off of shots we had done earlier in the movie. And so every single shot was like a new discovery. The visuals of the entire climax of the fight, yeah. we saw the week they were done. That was when we went like, that's it. And I mean, we had a we had a, obviously a plan in place and, yeah. a, and a, an aspiration. That was that was the idea that this space becomes abstract and is being mm-hmm. inundated by black Kirby dots, which are helping us represent sort of mm-hmm. Kingpin and Miles is being swallowed up by all of that, and we're going to get him to be super tiny on that screen. But that was it, and then and then it was mm-hmm. like, here we go, and now we're starting to see things in in dailies, and we're like, oh yes, 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 and so it was yeah. in that sense, it did feel like yeah. we were looking around the room, going like, oh yeah. Amazing, right? But by Amazing. the way, I think the reason why it worked for us, and the re- you know, and why we we all felt, you know, although we'd love to have another month or two to work on it, you know, why we all <laughs> felt 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 happy with how it turned out is because it expressed Miles and it expressed where Miles was, you know, like visually, you know, and artistically, you know, it was um, it was some, you know, it was a, just a kid that had just come into a power and was just figuring out how to use it on the fly and that's kind of how we made the last uh, 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah very, very true. Totally. Yeah. Very, true. very cool. Thank you guys. Oh, man. Hey, pleasure, man. This is again my pleasure. favorite movie of last year. Oh, so. oh, thanks, so thanks man. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it.
And there you have it. Uh, you can find more of all the stories we mentioned on today's podcast on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. This podcast, SlashFilm Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. And please head on over to our iTunes page. Give us a five-star review. Write a couple words. Tell your friends. Spread the word. See you tomorrow.